He is here in this place indeed. Good morning and welcome to each one of you. I hope that you've had a wonderful week. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, indeed, we thank you for another day that you have blessed us with. We thank you for your presence. And indeed, Lord, we recognize that you are here. You are the reason that we're here. And we've come to worship you. We've come to hear from you. We've come to bless your name. And so, Father, may you indeed speak to us. May your Holy Spirit move in, in our midst. And we pray, God, that you would have your way. And so, Lord, come, speak, open our minds and hearts to hear from you. And we pray that you would help us to be obedient as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Old Testament, God gave Moses and the nation of Israel the law. And we know the law as either the Levitical law or the Mosaic law. God gave it to them, and the first mention of the law being given was as a covenant. It was an agreement between God and his chosen people who were the Israelites. And keep in mind, it wasn't because God loved them more, but he specifically chose them so that they would be distinguished and able to continue carrying on his message, his teaching, and of course, his law. They were required to keep the law, to obey it fully in order to be able to reap its benefits and for God to continue to bless them. The law was comprised of three parts. It was comprised of the Ten Commandments, which most of us would be familiar with. It was comprised of the ordinances and how things were to be done and taken care of, and also the worship system in how they were to worship and the things that were required and rituals that needed to take place. And within that included the priesthood, the tabernacle, the offerings, and the festivals. And so God outlined for them in the Old Testament all of these different requirements and how they were to take care of them and do them. Some of the laws were to reveal to the Israelites how to obey and please God, which we see evident in the Ten Commandments, for example. Other laws were to show the Israelites how God wanted them to worship him and how they were to um, atone for their sin. And so we see the sacrificial system that was put in place and the laws there. And some laws were intended for the Israelites simply to be distinct from other nations. And so you often may read of the kind of clothing that God had instructed them to wear or the kind of food that they were allowed and not allowed to eat. We see that these laws were given for them to obey and also for them to live up to the standard that God had called them to live to. But unfortunately, the Israelites are no different than us as human beings today, and we all mess up. We all have sinned, and we all have fallen short of God's standards. And God knew that we would not be able to fully keep his law and keep all his commandments and live uh, under it. And therefore, because we have all sinned, the law cannot save those who live under it. 
There's a lot of feedback, so if we could just turn off maybe the monitors. Thank you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, the law could not save us and it cannot save us because we have sinned. We have, in another sense, broken the law and so it cannot save us because we have broken it. The law cannot save us. Instead, it helps to reveal our sinfulness as human beings. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For no one has ever been made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's what God's law does. It reveals to us our sinful nature. The law helps us to see our sinfulness as human beings. My friends, God's laws and his ways are so high and the standards that God expects of us are so high that as human beings with a sinful nature, we simply cannot keep that law and live up to God's standards on our own. And when we see God's teaching, when we see his laws, when we see what he expects of us, it should cause us to feel humbled knowing that we cannot keep it on our own. It should cause us to see our sinfulness in front of a holy God. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah was in the presence of God in the vision, he, he, he said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. He recognized his sinfulness in the presence of a holy God. And you see, when we see the law, when we see God's standards, when we see what he expects of us, we also see that so many times we've messed up. So many times we've fallen short of what he expects and what he wants of us. And the law is that benchmark It is the standard for the way that God desires for us to live. It is what he wants and expects of us. You see, God desires for us to have fellowship. He desires for us to have fellowship with him. But because of sin, that separates us from God. Because of the sin that we've committed, it puts a block in between us and God and causes that division. The law is a standard of holiness, and at the same time, we understand that we could never meet that standard on our own. God is a holy God, and he demands holiness from us. And he knew that we would not be able to keep that law. We knew, he knew that we would not be able to keep that law, and so you ask, why did he give it to us, right? If God knew that we wouldn't be able to keep that law, that we would break it, that we would fall short, that we would mess up time and time again, it's simply for us to see a standard by which God desires for us to live and understand we cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own, but we need him. We need him because there are consequences for breaking God's law. There are consequences for breaking God's law. In the same way, if we break a law in our country or city, 
whatever the laws may be, the laws of the land, if we break a law, there are consequences, right? There are consequences that we have to face, whether it's, you know, uh, something small or something big. There are consequences. In the same way, God's standards are so high, and there are consequences for breaking God's law, that sin cannot simply go unpunished. Sin simply cannot go unpunished, but there are consequences for our actions and our sins. In the Old Testament, we see that there were immediate consequences. A lot of times, when something happened, there was immediately a consequence that took place. There was immediately a punishment that followed. People saw the severity of their sin. They saw the consequences being given and dished out right away. It's interesting to note that the consequences matched the crime. Did you know that? That the consequences that were given match the crime. If you read the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus, you see a lot of these consequences and a lot of the laws that are listed. And so you see, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You see that. There there was often, you know, things that needed to, to be punished. And so it was only fair that if you did something to me, I could do that to you, right? Because it was only fair at that time that if you hurt me or if you inflicted pain upon me or my family in some way, that that same punishment would be inflicted or given back to you. Or there would be some sort of financial compensation or compensation of giving livestock or something else, but some sort of payment needed to be made. Are you following me so far? So the Punishment matched the crime. I know some of you may look at the Old Testament especially and wonder, how could God allow this to happen? How could God allow, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, whatever it is, that if someone was caught in adultery, they were stoned to death. If someone killed someone, that they were killed in in that place. How, How could God allow that to happen? My friends, we need to understand and look at it from another perspective. We need to understand that it was completely acceptable at that time for this to happen because the one who did wrong was held responsible to make a payment. The one who did wrong was responsible to pay the price for what they had done. They had to pay the price. And again, it was either by the same thing happening to them or being done to them or financial compensation of some sort being given. There were laws that if broken against your neighbor, there were consequences. And in the same way, there were spiritual laws that if broken against God, there were consequences. By breaking God's law, we are held responsible to pay for them. By breaking God's laws, there is a responsibility upon our shoulders to pay and to make right for the wrong that we have done. I'm about to tell you a story, and I I, I just want you to know up front that there's a part in it that's a little exaggerated for uh, illustration purposes, okay? So keep keep that in mind there. I have a a beautiful three-year-old niece, 
and her name is Elizabeth. And some of you know her, and uh, some of you uh, may not know her. You may have just simply uh, seen her. But one day, I took Elizabeth shopping with me, all right? And so we went into a store, one of the stores I like to go in, especially, you know, ones that sell home decorations, furniture, that kind of thing. Come on up. She just finished eating her Nine lunch. Okay. All right. Do you want to say hi to everyone? Let's say hi. Okay. She's just being shy. <laughs> All right. Just can you say hi before you go? No? Okay, that's all right. <laughs> all right, so this is Elizabeth, my niece. So we went shopping. I took her into a store that I like, not one that would appeal to her. All right, we're good. And in the store, there was a sign that you may have seen in other stores that says, if you break it, you buy it. Anyone ever seen a sign in a store like that? Okay, so what does that mean? It means that if you happen to break the item, then what? You would be responsible to pay for it, right? All right, you can, you can go now. That's okay. Thank you. Thank you for your help. Okay. <laughs> she wants to preach. All right. Okay. You can take her. That's okay. <laughs> All right. So if you break it, you buy it. Well, as we were going through the aisles, there were a lot of things in there that were breakable items. And I think it would probably be better for me to show you. And I kept telling her over and over again to be careful. So take a look at this video to give you a better idea of what there was in there. Can't touch this. Can't touch this. So as you see, there were a lot of fragile items in the store, right? So we were going through, and Elizabeth hits the shelf, and an item falls on the ground. And what happens to it? It breaks. Well, she made a mistake, right? She didn't realize, and so I told her to be careful. We can't do that. So we kept going. Obviously, I knew that we would be responsible for paying for it. And as we were going through another aisle, same thing happens. She hits down again, and she breaks two more. Two more. So we're at a total of Bobita, three. All right. We go through. I told her again, Elizabeth. Got to be careful. We can't be doing this. Okay, remember the exaggerated part I told? Okay, all right. So we go through another aisle. So she sees a beautiful, shiny item. And what does she do? She picks it up and she holds it. Okay, she's getting it. She drops it and it breaks. I told her, Elizabeth, this is the last time. Otherwise, we're going to have to go. Well, she was good for a little while. Then we went through another aisle. And again, she broke another item. Well, at this point, not only was I getting frustrated, but one of the employees from the store came up to us and said, excuse me, ma'am, but this little girl has broken quite a few items, 
And our policy is, if you break it, you buy it. And I said to, I said to the, the employee, I said, oh, I, I know, but I didn't break them. <laughs> Tell her, right? Tell her, I don't know what you're telling me for. <laughs> She's the one that broke it, not me. But you see, Elizabeth, as a three-year-old, as a child, did not understand the concept of it was wrong to break something originally. But after she was told that what she did was wrong, that she shouldn't have continued to hit down items, throw them on the floor, and break them, she should have known better, right? She should have known at that point that if I break another item, there are consequences for me. My friends, in the same way as children of God, he is patient with us. He is patient with us, especially when we don't understand and, and we don't know. But once we do know, right, there, there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences for the things that we end up breaking and doing against God. If we break God's laws and his commandments, there is a price that someone has to pay. There is a price for it. The Bible tells us that the price of sin is death. The price of sin is death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, <clears throat> it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, what that means is that we owe our life because of the sin that we have committed. That our life is the price that we are supposed to pay because of the wrong that we have done. Has anyone here never sinned? There's only one who has never sinned, and his name is Jesus. We have all done wrong, and because of our sinfulness, we are separated from God. Because of our sinfulness, we are separated and cannot be in full fellowship unless we are reconciled. God made a different kind of allowance for us. In the Old Testament times, animal sacrifices were continually offered at the tabernacle or the temple. God had put in place a way for us to pay for our sin. He had put in place a way so that we could atone for our sin. And so when a person sinned, what they were to do was to go to the tabernacle or later the permanent structure, which we call the temple, and they were to line up with their animal sacrifice. And the animal sacrifice depended upon, you know, what they were going to offer it for, whether it be sin and the kind of sin or, you know, Thanksgiving or whatever it was, and also what they could afford. So that played a factor in the type of animal that they would bring. So they lined up and waited for their turn. And then when it was their turn, they came to the priest and they gave the animal to the priest. And what the priest did was then prayed symbolizing the transference of sins. Are you following me here? So praying that basically the animal would symbolically take on the sins of the individual. 
So now the sin that was symbolically or spiritually, whatever you want to call it, transferred to the animal. Then the animal was sacrificed and was killed, symbolizing that a life had been given so that your life could be spared. The life had been given because there was a cost involved. You see, there, it wasn't a, a cheap sacrifice because the animal that was sacrificed could no longer be used for food. It could no longer be eaten. And so it was a family's meal for a week or a month, or it had to be purchased. And so that money came out of the family's pocket, and it could no longer be used for food. And so the animal became the sacrifice. The sacrifice showed the Israelites and the people there the seriousness of their sins. It showed them that blood had to be shed in order for them to be pardoned. Blood had to be shed. Why? Why did blood have to be shed? Because blood carries life. There is life in the blood. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the body is in its blood. And so in order for the life, the substitute to happen, the animal's blood had to be shed. It had to be killed. The death of the animal, which was the proof in the blood, was the penalty of death that temporarily covered and therefore, God granted forgiveness to the sinner. But the animal, listen to this, the animal could not remove the sin. It could only temporarily cover it. Because when that individual or family sinned again, guess what they had to do, Anthony? Bring another animal. And so their sin cost them something. You see, in, in our world today, I believe that sometimes we don't always recognize the seriousness of our sin because the penalty and the consequence isn't given right away. But if the penalty and the consequence was given right away, I think it would cause us to think twice, right? But don't get me wrong, there are penalties and there are consequences to the sin. But the people had to pay that right away. It was a responsibility that they had to give. And so the animal could only temporarily, its blood only temporarily covered the sin. The sacrifices only pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that would one day come and remove the stain of sin. Because we broke God's law, there is a price. And like my niece who was only three and couldn't afford to pay for those items that she broke, we cannot afford the price of sin. We cannot afford to pay for what we have done. And so, even though we broke it, and in theory, we need to buy it, we couldn't afford it. So God did it for us. We broke it, but God paid for it. We broke it. We broke his laws. We broke his commandments. We've fallen short of his standards time and time again. But God paid the price for it. God picked up our tab because we couldn't afford it. 
God in his mercy and his compassion knew that he could truly be the only one who would be able to take away the stain of sin upon us. He knew that he would be the only one who could make right what we made wrong. He knew that he would be the only one who could serve as the spotless sacrifice to redeem us. He knew that it had to be him. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 says, So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. You see, God did what the law could not do. He stepped in, he came to our rescue, and he saved us. Jesus Christ came to die for us. He came to die for us. And not only did he come to die for us, he willingly came on our behalf. He willingly came to this life Yes, to die for us, but also to fulfill the requirements of the law. Did you know that? To fulfill all the requirements of the law and take the punishment that came with violating it. That's what Jesus did. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2 verse 6, he says that we are not justified by observing the law, but we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You have probably heard countless times, especially growing up, that Jesus loves you. He died for you. Jesus loves you that he came to this earth for you. Jesus died for you, so he went to the cross for you. We've heard it many times, said and preached and sung in different ways. But my friends, I want you to take a moment To let that truth sink in. That the God of all creation, the one who spoke the universe in place, the one who holds all that there is because by him all things were created, the one who holds us in the palm of his hand, looked upon us with such love and mercy and compassion and saw that we could not afford to pay the price of our sin. And instead of leaving us to ourselves to suffer the consequences, instead he stepped down, he set aside his glory, and he said, I will come to your rescue because I love you. That's the kind of God that we serve. One who did not just leave us in our sin, but one who came to our rescue to do something about it. Renee sang so beautifully that nothing that is left in God's presence is unredeemed. And how true that is, that when we come before God, that we know That when we are sincere and that we are ready, God will redeem us. He has paid the price. Jesus came as God in the flesh. 
He came to pay for our sins. And when you truly understand that, it should humble us and be able to sing and say with the songwriter, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. When we truly understand the sacrifice, God sent his son so that he could condemn all sin through the punishment of the one sinless body. Every sin on him was laid, past, present, and future. Every single thing was laid upon him. God took the punishment upon himself. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, we cannot be redeemed, and so God shed his blood so that we could be saved. We no longer needed to offer animals as a sacrifice because the one sinless lamb offered himself in our place. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 12 to 15 says, With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system of blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under the first covenant. You see, Christ came to fulfill the law with his death and he paid the punishment, he paid the penalty for us breaking it. This was to satisfy the wrath of God. This was to pay a price that we owed. And so that we could experience forgiveness. So that we could experience redemption. So that ultimately we could experience salvation and eternal life. And so because of that, 1 Corinthians 19, 6 verse 19 and 20 tells us, You do not belong to yourself. For you were bought with a high price. You see, God bought us. Did you know that? God bought us. And if God bought us and he paid for us with his blood and his life, then we belong to him. And so he desires for us to give ourselves to him. That's why he says to present yourself as a living sacrifice. God doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live. And because we belong to him, because he paid for us, we are to present ourselves. We're to give ourselves. We're to live lives that are holy, pleasing, and that are in obedience to God's will and his word. God's law is there, but Christ came 
to fulfill it. So we are no longer under the law, but we are now under God's grace. We are no longer, this is the last point, we are no longer under God's law, but we are now under his grace. None of the Old Testament law is binding on Christians today, but follow me on this. So none of it is binding. When Jesus went to the cross, he put an end to the Old Testament law. So we are no longer bound by the rules and the restrictions and the regulations that are laid out in the Levitical law or the Mosaic law here. We are no longer under the old covenant but now we are under a new covenant. And and that's why we have testament. Testament and covenant, those words are interchangeable. Testament means covenant. And so we are no longer under the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but we are now under the New Testament, the new covenant that God made. When Jesus came, he said he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. But to fulfill them, in the place of the Old Testament law, Christ gave us a new command. He told us that we are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two commandments that he gave us. And my friends, when we look at the Old Testament, I don't want you to think, oh, I don't need to follow any of that. Because with those two commands that Jesus gave us, it encompasses everything in it. So if you say to yourself, well, since you said I'm no longer the Old Covenant, I don't need to uh, keep the Ten Commandments, well... Those commandments fall in either loving God or loving your neighbor. Loving God or loving other people in how we live. And so even though we do not have to stick to the Old Testament law to a T, we are to follow those things. And the Old Testament is a guideline for how we are to live today in order to fulfill loving God with all that we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And obviously, if we are loving God, then we're not worshiping false idols. Then we're not bowing down before other idols or statues or gods. Obviously, if we're loving our neighbor, then we're not murdering them. We're not lying to them. We're not coveting what they have. You see that God came to fulfill the law not so that we could live however we choose, but that we could live in full obedience with him by simply loving him with all that we are and loving others the just the same. Do you see that? That Christ put an end to all of the nitty-gritty, can't wear this, can't eat this, can't do that. No, he says, this is what you have to do. Love me with everything that you are. And love others just as how you would want them to love you and treat you. And if you do those things, then you're good. If you do those things, then that is what I require from you. You see, today we can be grateful. Because although we broke God's laws time and time again, he paid for them. We broke it. And we should buy it. We should pay for it. But he paid for us. And we are no longer bound by all of those laws and requirements because Christ came to fulfill them. He came to fulfill and pay the price that we could not owe. 
And so, my friends, I want to encourage you. What does this mean for us today? What does all of that breaking the law, Jesus coming and paying for it, it means that God desires that we repent of our sins, that we put away our sinfulness, that we ask him to truly come and change us and transform us, to truly come and help us knowing the sacrifice that God made. We will never be able to comprehend in this lifetime the price that Jesus paid the price that he had to go through, the things that he had to endure on the cross, but he paid such a high price and he wants us to come before him to repent and ask him to help us to, to live right. We need to do our best to live in obedience to God's word. In the New Testament especially, there is so much that helps us to understand the Old Testament. And I want you to understand that they go together, that we cannot have the Old Testament without the New Testament, and we cannot have the New Testament without the Old. We need them both to help understand and to paint a proper picture for how we are to live. We are to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to treat others how we want to be treated. That means how we talk to people. That means how we, what we say about people when they're not around. That means what we do for other people. That means the kind of sacrifices that we may make or go out of our way for others as well. God wants us to decide to surrender our lives to him. Ultimately, we can have this greatest gift, but it is up to us to receive it, to accept it, and to take it. God is willingly giving it to us. And so, my friends, I encourage you, if you have not yet made that decision, there is no better day than today. Today, as we celebrate our faith together as believers in partaking communion, can be the day where you say, God, I surrender my life to you. I give myself to you because I understand that I have fallen short of your standards. I have messed up time and time again, and I receive that gift of salvation that you died to give me. And so today can be that day. My friends, would you stand? And as we sing this song just before we go in to celebrating the Lord's Supper together, I want to give you an opportunity that if you want to come and spend some time in prayer at the altars, whether kneeling or standing distanced from each other, maybe today you simply want to say thank you. Thank you, God, for your sacrifice on the cross. Maybe today you want to say, Lord, help me to live obedient to you and your spirit and your leading. Help me to love you and to love others. And maybe today you want to say, God, I surrender my heart to you. I give myself to you and I truly accept you as my Savior and Lord. Whatever it may be, you come as we sing.